Welcome back to the Axe Murder Diaries. I'm your host, Amanda, and we are finally back for season two. I just want to thank all of you guys for your patience and your support. And I also want to thank, in a way, a very popular podcast who actually follows me on social media, who makes a lot of money doing this, who blatantly stole my episode. Now, it's not all the same research, I'm sure. I mean, they have people who do that for them now. Whereas me, it's just me. But even though I was mad initially, it reminded me of why I'm doing this. It's so people's stories, these victims who might not otherwise be remembered, are remembered. Previous to this, I had been the only podcast who had ever talked about this person, this woman who was unfortunately murdered um, not far away from where I live. And I just have to remember that it's not about making money, which I don't make. And it's not about me or my ego or the fact that my episode is now eclipsed by theirs. We're doing this because it's important to Remember these victims. It's the same reason we walk in a cemetery and read the names or even say them out loud. These people's stories deserve to be remembered. These people deserve to be remembered. Whether that's through my little podcast or someone else's big one, that's the point. So... I guess you could say we are back with a vengeance. Um, Let's get started. This is the tragic murder of Georgiana Lovering in Northwood, New Hampshire. Now, this story is very personal to me because I actually grew up in Northwood, New Hampshire, and I wish I had appreciated its history more when I lived there. Now, I've driven through many times now, nostalgically, and so many things have changed, but I have been wanting to tell the story since I found out that a murder occurred here, and this murder actually is not just a simple case. There's actually multiple murders um, in different towns, and we will get into that, but I looked up this murder again one day, and somehow I was able to get an original newspaper that talked about this case. I will read part of that newspaper to you now. Now, if you listen closely, you can hear the crackling of this newspaper dated Wednesday, February 18th, 1874. Evans hanged. Just doom of a barbarous old man. Terrible confessions. Innocent girls coolly butchered and cut to pieces. Infamy, hypocrisy, and theft unveiled. Cant and deceit on the verge of death. Georgiana Lovering and her family lived in, quote, the sparsely settled portion of the town of Northwood, New Hampshire. The household consisted of herself, her mother, a widow, 
and her late father's parents, Sylvester Day and his wife, Deborah Evans Day. Georgiana's father, William Day, died in the Civil War at the age of 21 to 22 years old, just seven years prior to the murder of his daughter. Georgiana was described as a pretty and pleasing girl, aged 12 to 13 years old. Now let's talk about Deborah's brother, meaning Georgiana's uncle, Franklin B. Evans. Franklin B. Evans was described as a 60-year-old man who, quote, from youth led a roving and miserable life, end quote. He described himself as a botanic physician and a second Advent preacher, but, quote, was an ignorant, illiterate man, end quote, and he was not an ordained minister. So from what I read, it sounds like he just claimed that he was a minister and preached on occasion. Um, perhaps he had a large ego. If you hear background noises, that is, um, I got a new kitten and it's, I can't tame him. <laughs> but to continue, he had been married three times. His first wife died and, quote, his last two wives leaving him in turn and refusing to live with him, end quote. Sounds like a great guy. He apparently, quote, always pretended to think a great deal of Georgie. In return, she manifested no fondness for him, although she naturally looked up to him somewhat on account of his age and relationship. It is stated that he once made improper advances to the young girl, who indignantly repelled them, and acquainted her mother with the circumstances. At that time, he apparently turned over a new leaf and treated his niece with much consideration. So already he sounds like a stellar guy, definitely someone I would trust around children. Um, heavy sarcasm, obviously. So he started setting traps in the woods and told Georgiana all about the handsome birds he would capture. He then proceeded to take her into the woods multiple times to show her the traps. Now, why? No, I'm not like putting blame on anyone, but why is he allowed to be alone with her is my question. On Thursday, October 24th, 1872, Franklin B. Evans told Georgiana that he would be going away for work the next morning and asked her to look after the snares. On Friday, October 25th, 1872, Georgiana Lovering left to go into the woods and was never seen alive again, except by Franklin B. Evans. Several hours passed and she did not return home. Her mother and grandparents were naturally concerned and went out to the woods to look for her, but could not find her. Neighbors eventually heard the commotion and started helping the search. And eventually, Georgiana's apron and comb were found in the woods. That's when murder was suspected. And as soon as murder was suspected, everyone thought of Franklin B. Evans. This was especially true considering, obviously, their history of what he did to her. 
but also the fact that he said he was leaving for work, but returned home at noon, saying that he had gone no farther than the village. Hundreds of people searched the woods for four days, but found no other traces of her. Evans was taken into custody by Sheriff Drew, and he kept denying knowing anything about her disappearance. Eventually, he said he did know what happened to her. It was a man, not him, a man named Webster, who had abducted her and taken her to Kingston. The police investigated this statement, and it proved to be false, and so Sheriff Drew kept interrogating Evans. Finally, a week after the disappearance, Sheriff Drew asked, Is the girl dead? Evans replied, She is, Mr. Drew, and I have done wrong. Evans agreed to show him where her body was on two conditions. One, he would be protected from the angry townsfolk, and two, they would have to go at night. Now, both of those are likely to avoid a lynching, but that's still uh, very creepy. So the sheriff agreed to this, but he was smart. He made sure that there were people following them in the woods without Evans knowing so that there would be witnesses. At the dead of night, the wretched old man led the way into the woods, followed and carefully watched by the sheriff, who carried a lantern, and secretly by others who had been engaged for the purpose. On reaching a dismal hollow, the old man pointed to a heap of stones and rubbish and said, There. On removing some of the rubbish, the sheriff caught sight of the body of the murdered girl and instantly put a pair of handcuffs on the wrist of Evans and made a signal which brought to the scene two men who, according to the arrangements, had been watching some little distance off. The rubbish was entirely removed, and the remains of the girl discovered. The briefest examination showed that her body had been mutilated in an atrocious manner, portions of it having been cut away and concealed under a rock, where they were afterward pointed out by Evans. This was per the Wyoming Democrat, Wednesday, March 4th, 1874. Franklin B. Evans was ultimately sentenced to death, and he made a confession. Now, I will not say the full confession now or get into the trial right now, because I will tell you that this arrest from the murder of his niece helped reveal the fact that he actually murdered many other children in New England. And we will get into the, all of those stories in separate episodes because I feel that each victim deserves their own episode and their own episode title. But let me share part of his confession now. I, Franklin B. Evans, now under sentence of death for the murder of Georgiana Lovering, and knowing I must soon pass into the presence of my Maker and Judge, and knowing that he who covereth his sins cannot prosper, but whose confession and forsaketh them shall have mercy, 
do make the following statements and confessions as to all my knowledge of that terrible affair. And all I say, I affirm as a dying man, is strictly true. So he basically goes on in the first paragraph or so, just blaming the family for this murder, saying that they were drunk all the time and had no morals and were threatening to send him to prison because he forged a $1 bill into a $10 bill. And so he felt he had to kill Georgiana um, because she was such a bad person. And obviously none of this is true. And it's just really disgusting to read. And I just won't repeat what he said about the victim in this case. He also said that he practiced as a doctor for many years, which is false. Um, And he bought an expensive book on treating female diseases and treating childbearing and doing midwifery, which is, oh, to think about. And he said it was illustrated with drawings describing the organs of the female system. That is just gross. Like, in your fantasy, you're a you're a GYN because you're disgusting. Awesome. So he then goes on to basically say that he had to kill her because Georgiana stole this book from him, but then at the same time was threatening to send him to prison because of that forged $1 bill. And he was saying that she was threatening to tell people that he sexually assaulted her, which, do you see how this is just uh, not real life? Quote, About one month before her death, I first thought of putting her out of the way. I often rejected the thought, but some renewal of her threats would bring it back. For some days before the murder, I seemed to be attended continually by one who seemed to bear a human form, urging me on to the deed. At length, I became fixed in my purpose of compelling her to exonerate me or to take her life. In order to bring this about, I told her I would give her the book if she would meet me in the woods at a certain place named at some distance from her house. She assented, and on the morning of the fatal day, I left Mr. Day's, telling the family I was going to Mr. Hill's or perhaps to Mr. Roberts's, some few miles off. I arrived at the place near some large rocks some time before she did. When she came, I talked with her for some time, reminding her of several valuable presents I had given her, and tried to persuade her to do something to make me secure. It was of no avail. She persistently refused, knowing I was completely in her power and that I would most likely be sent to the state prison on one or both of her complaints. I seized her by the throat. She struggled but for a short time and was dead. I carried her body a long distance toward the swamp, and when within a few rods of the place where I buried her, I separated the parts found afterwards. So he's saying that this 12-year-old, this 12 to 13-year-old little girl, this child, held power over him? And also that there was some human-like creature saying that he had to do this? 
I have no words. That is disgusting. So to continue, he attempts to explain why he separated the body. Quote, I did this to gain some knowledge of the human system that might be of use to me as a doctor. My fears of her putting her threats into execution were, however, the sole reason I had. I should have left the place, but for some reason I could not then collect some money which was due me. My feelings after the deed was done were dreadful beyond description. I would have given worlds, had I possessed them, to ever call that hour. No one can imagine the struggle in my mind before coming to the conclusion to make this confession. I have not done it with the least hope of pardon or communion. Well, you shouldn't. Because you're awful. My doom is fixed. By the law of God and man, I am guilty and condemned to die. But if it be possible that so great a sinner as I am can find mercy at the hand of God, if my prayer deliver me from blood, guiltiness, O God, can procure pardon, it is all I can hope for. And I can only look for this when I know. His grace abounteth to the chief of sinners. It has greatly relieved my mind that I have at least fully and truthfully confessed the whole I know concerning this wicked transaction, and I much regret that I have not done it sooner. Let's get one thing straight. Confessing your sins, and he's lying through his teeth here, through his confession, even if he did make a full confession, that does not pardon you. If there is a bad place, you're going to it. Since making my confession of the murder of Georgiana Lovering, I have, after a great conflict in my mind, determined to make a full confession of another awful transaction. As far as his confession goes, and of the other people he murdered, that is where I will leave you until the next part. Now let's take it back to our victim here in this case. The following is from the Burlington Free Press, Wednesday, November 6, 1872. Georgiana was an only child and was the idol of her mother, who was a widow, and the pride of her grandparents, with whom she and her mother lived. She was a bright, pretty, and affectionate girl. Her hair and eyes dark, and her countenance beamed with youthful life. She was the sunlight of the household. Her teachers bear testimony to her excellent scholarship. Outside of her home, the girl was a favorite with the neighbors. Thank you so much for listening, and I really appreciate your patience waiting on season two. It's good to be back. It's good to be back in my little spooky office that I kept closed off partly because of the kitten and other partly um, because I just needed to take a step back and evaluate some things and get my head right for a little bit there. So yeah, it's good to be here. It's good that you're here. And 
See you next time. Bye.